the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. I see my name in shiny lights, yeah, a different city every night, oh, I, I swear, the world better prepare for when I'm a billionaire. It's time to get down to business on the weekend's number one business program. Known as the king of networking, your host, Shalom Klein, has worked with thousands of entrepreneurs and created countless jobs. So, to success, let's get down to business. And indeed, we're all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship and business. We talk a lot about business here. You're on with Get Down to Business, and I'm your host, Shalom Klein. Remember, you can always download podcasts from Get Down to Business on my website at shalomkline.com. And, and while you're there, don't forget to follow me on Twitter at shalomkline. It's going to be a jam-packed week of content and information you will not want to miss. So let's jump right in and get started. I'm thrilled to be joined by the one and only Jenny Lopez, who is a coach, who is a uh, truly an inspiration um, in uh, certainly in in embodying the bring yourself to work in everything she does. She empowers diversity, engages employees and organizations to achieve new highs. Jenny's originally from Puerto Rico, moved to US, to the U.S. to complete her master's degree in chemical engineering. Um, quite a bit of experience. We were just talking a little bit offline of some of the uh, some of the uh, fun uh, in Chicago and beyond, but I don't want to steal any of her thunder. Jenny Lopez, welcome to the program. Thank you so much for having me. Super excited. Absolutely. It is a pleasure. You recently wrote Intentional Unicorn, which we're going to, International Unicorn, um, which we are going to, uh, which we are going to talk all about. Um, But if you don't mind, tell our audience a little bit about yourself. Yes, of course. So you mentioned I'm from Puerto Rico. I will say I have the blessing to have two careers in parallel, one in fitness and dancing, being a professional dancer, NFL cheerleader, and master trainer for the company Zumba. And then as a chemical engineer that you also mentioned, I've been in the corporate world for over 20 years and in the business, in manufacturing, and now I lead talent acquisition. But something I started a couple of years ago with my mission of really closing the representation gap, especially with the underrepresented talent out there, focusing on Latino communities specifically, and uh, I do a lot of coaching, speaking, and that's one of the things that inspired me really of writing this book, Intentional Unicorn. Wow. Amazing. Amazing. Yeah. That is awesome. So um, that's a great background. And I want to talk about that term, Intentional uh, Unicorn, um, and what do you mean by it and what prompted you to write this book? Absolutely. Believe it or not, <laughs> the whole term started in a funny team building exercise that we did in a leadership program a couple of years ago. And I go in more detail in the book. It was quite a funny story. But something we had to write is, hey, draw a picture of, a, of what will be your memoir. And at that point, the only thing that came to my mind was this little avatar of myself divided into one of them had colors and was doing striking a funny dancing pose. And the other one was more serious, straight hair with my glasses and heels. And that was the engineering side of me. And then I was wearing a ponytail and they're like, you know what? That looks like a horn. And the more I looked at it, I said, you know what? That's how I felt my whole career, like a unicorn that stood out for the wrong reasons. I never felt like I fitting in anything that I was doing. 
But then over the time when I realized that that horn that is so specifically that I own it, that's what made me me. And that's whenever I was shining it really bright was when I operated at my best. That's whenever I say, yes, I'm a unicorn, but I am intentional. So what started as a funny uh, team share ended up being a, a keynote speech at the company a year later. And I got a lot of feedback about, hey, that message really resonated with me. And I'm glad that leaders are talking about it. Um, and something that I started thinking, how can I amplify the message and ended up in a book? <laughs> I love it. I love it. And again, I'm chatting with the intentional unicorn. Um, and uh, Jenny, again, a fascinating, fascinating background in several different areas. Um, and I know you were featured in a book called Hispanic Stars Rising, um, The New Faces of, uh, of Power. Um, and indeed, you are a strong advocate. You're uh, heavily involved in coaching, speaking, podcasts, and so on. And uh, your book has received many, many accolades indeed. So superpower, it's a word that you yes. feature a lot in your book. When we think of superpowers, we often think of comic book heroes who are able to fight against evil. Um, but you say that when people use their superpowers, they lead with authenticity, confidence, and purpose. What do you mean by that? Yes. Yeah, so I love that you talked about the superheroes because think about, you know, Wonder Woman or Spider-Man and Superman. All of them have something very unique to them. And with that superpowers, whenever they can really do very well for this world. <laughs> and that, think about you being a superhero. What's your superpower? So there may be a lot of things that we do well, but what are the one, two, maybe top three things that you do incredibly well? Uh, because what you want to do is that you want to put a flashlight on those and continue to amplify them. So then you get well known for them. And that becomes a little bit of your personal branding. For example, if you go and talk to somebody and say all oh, the good things that you do, you dilute your message. But if I tell you, hey, my superpowers is my authenticity, my cross-functional leadership and strategy, then I continue to build on those. And when it, that's how I can best serve, right, in the corporate world or in my business or in this world. But if you ask me, hey, are you good with data analytics? Yes. Is, is, is it my superpower? No. <laughs> so it's again, <laughs> you to, yes, once you hone on what those are, that's one of the people you're, that's what you're well known for. And then you're operating. Oh, that, mm -hmm. Yeah, that, that, that's awesome. Um, definitely, again, you, you're inspiring um, the future of superheroes, um, which, is, uh, <laughs> which is so, so cool. So I always love to make sure that our listeners walk away, especially this time of year when people are planning for the, for the new calendar year, which is right mm -hmm. around the corner. I can't believe mm -hmm. it. But uh, I'm a big believer in leaving people with the tools and the practices that they need. So what are some of the tools and best intentional practices, uh, again, coming from that term, the intentional unicorn, yes. that will help um, our listeners and your readers of your book to activate their goals? Absolutely. And I go through so many of them in the book. It's not a memoir. Like, a, yes, I talk a lot about my examples or examples from people that I know, but it is a framework that you can use for any goal that you have. It's a personal, it's a professional, and it starts from the time that you decide of going for that goal. And let's say, for example, you even writing the book, right? And then committing, taking action, adapting, because you have a plan and then God has a plan for you. <laughs> so you're always going to want to adapt, invest, create, amplify, so then you can show the world. And it has a lot of things because I think in, in everything you do, 10% is strategy and whatever, you know, the, the one, two, three that you have to follow. But 80% is really mindset. 
And I love, I go a lot about things like imposter syndrome because we can be our worst enemies. And I can give you a quick example on that. Even writing this book, I had a belief that, okay, people are going to make fun of me, like especially with that title, what is my family going to think? And people are going to say, who is this person? She's never written a book and now she's an author. So all of those things are, we call it now imposter syndrome. Everybody has it, but those are like the little naysayer, little vocesita in our head, right? Little voice. But when I think of a chair, and if that's my belief that, hey, I'm not good enough, do I have the, the legs of that chair? Are the ones supporting that belief? And I didn't have any legs. Like, are people laughing at me? No. Do people think that I'm not a, well, a good speaker? No. Do people think that I'm not a good coach? No, actually the opposite. They like my coaching. So that chair did not stand. So boom, it collapsed. But if I turn that belief into a more empowering one and say, hey, I have a voice, I have a message that can help so many people, the legs of that chair, do I have proof that that's true? And then you start accumulating some of your previous experiences. Yes, the feedback I'm getting and all of that, then it is a really strong share. So again, worst time, we're our worst enemies many times. So it's how to get it from those limiting beliefs to those empowering beliefs. And I have so many tools and strategies in the book. That's what the book is about. Oh, that's that's amazing. Again, I'm chatting with the intentional uh, lead, uh, unicorn over here. And um, again, I'm chatting with Jenny Lopez, um, who is a speaker, a coach, an author, and so, so much more. The book is an amazing read. It's funny. It's engaging. It's inspiring. And as you just heard a moment ago, it's got some real takeaways for action uh, that everybody can put to work. And just in our final few moments remaining. I want to talk about your advocacy for a moment because I know that you are uh, big into empowering, like you said, in the Latino community. Um, yes. Can you tell us what are some of your goals? What are your New Year's resolutions for 2023? Ooh, I want to continue to grow, to grow and amplify my message. Really, we have a lack of representation of Latinos out there. If you see the population, how it's going to look like just in a, in a decade, going to be very different from what you see right now and are we ready for it no and i think the biggest mistake we have as latinos is when we go into a business or or in the, in the corporate world we try to change ourselves to fit the cultural norm of what people have thought of success looks like or behaves like and when we do that we don't do any well for anybody not for the company because they don't do, they don't do the best of they don't get the best of us and not for ourselves because we don't operate our best and it's exhausting. So I really I'll, want I'll, to continue to amplify that message. Yeah. And I'll tell you one of my new year's resolutions is to, uh, is to finish, uh, again, intentional unicorn over here. And I think all of our listeners should pick up a copy of the book. So on that note, as we run out of time, Jenny, how can we get in touch with you and find okay. out more about the amazing work you're doing? Intentionalunicorn.com is my website. And I'm in every social media platform. I do a lot of funny videos that you can see in LinkedIn, TikTok, and Instagram. And obviously, the book can be found in Amazon.com. Fantastic. Intentional Unicorn. Again, uh, Jenny Lopez, thank you so much for uh, inspiring us. I can't wait to bring you back real soon. But again, this is not just like you said, a memoir, but actually some real takeaways. I encourage all of our listeners to check it out. Uh, we'll link through our website as well. And speaking of linking through our website, make sure you subscribe, rate, review, and share on your favorite podcast app so you don't miss a single episode. You can do that. Again, learn more at ShalomKlein.com. We've got to squeeze in a very quick break here and get down to business. The show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship, and we will be right back. Thank you. 
Welcome back to the show. All about small business jobs and entrepreneurs should be listening to Get Down to Business. And you get on my website, shalomkline.com to get a sneak peek of who's going to be on next week, each week, in the show about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I am thrilled to be joined by Bill Price. Bill was Amazon's first global vice president of customer service and is the founder and president of Drivist Solutions, a consultancy dedicated to creating highly effective customer contact strategies and operations, which is what we're going to talk about. But he has more than 35 years of experience advising and directing major operations in more than 160 leading companies. The co-author of the bestseller, the best service is no service to your customer rules and the frictionless organization deliver great customer experiences with less effort, which just came out. Bill Price, welcome to the program. Hey, thanks for letting me join you today. Appreciate it. Absolutely. So, if there's one truth in business, it's that customers don't want to contact you. Yet most companies keep getting it all wrong in terms of, you know, when people contact, when people have to contact their companies. Mm-hmm. If it's the faulty products, the late deliveries, um, all essentially service that that you know people don't want to talk about. So, Bill, I know that's the premise of your book. Tell us how you got interested in this topic. Well, uh, even before I went to uh, uh, Amazon, which was 23 years ago, I was with the telco uh, MCI, and MCI had the same sort of strategy, same sort of philosophy, which is let's make it really easy for our customers. We were competing against AT&T, which was a big challenge, and for MCI to win business, both consumers and business customers, we had to really do a good job and make the product simple and pricing simple. So I brought that concept into Amazon. Uh, fortunately, Amazon was already thinking that way when I got there. That was Jeff Bezos's uh, ethos of making things dead simple for the customer and making it work right. And since then, I've just been adding to it. Uh, you certainly have. Um, that's super duper cool. That's great. So you have this term that you use a lot, frictionless. Mm-hmm. Again, the title of the book, The Frictionless Organization, Delivering right. Great Customer Experiences with Less Effort. So is frictionless, we're talking with a lot of small business owners on this program, entrepreneurs. What does frictionless mean to them and, and how does a business determine uh, if this is the right sort of move and direction right. to go? Well, frictionless means that you don't cause problems for your customers so that they have to contact you. you. You sort of mentioned it earlier, which is frictionless means things are clear, they're not confusing, things are on time, and so customers don't need to contact you for those issues. They may still want to contact you for other issues, like, hey, I want to get this new product of yours, or I'd like to find out whether this really works for me, where, where a personal or one-to-one conversation makes sense, but they don't want to contact you for the issues that, are, that represent failures or mistakes. So friction is what you see, friction is what you measure, the frictionless concept is really the absence of that. So, you, so you see fewer contacts per customer, fewer contacts per unit shift. You see fewer issues that come up from the customers. Interesting, and, and you know, it, it sounds like from everything that you're talking about in terms of that satisfaction, that frictionless organization, mm-hmm. it sounds like you have discovered through your countless conversations, as we said, um, you've been doing this for uh, for a couple of years now, mm-hmm. that people care more about an experience than about price. How did you discover that? And and can you give us some examples of, of sort of lessons learned on that topic? Well, there's certainly some companies out there, some some luxury type companies that that, that where their consumers, their customers don't care about price. They just want that experience and they, they want the, the privilege or the honor or the fun of having that particular product with them. But for, for general businesses, especially small businesses and entrepreneurs, 
the, the concept is that I want, as a consumer, I'm just speaking now very generally as a consumer, I want stuff to work for me that's personalized for me. The company knows who I am and can actually you know, do, go the extra mile for me. Meaning if, if I have to have something delayed, you'll delay it for me. If I need to have something accelerated, you'll make it faster for me. If I need to have something that's blue, you'll make it blue for me. And so with all those types of uh, requests, customers, companies rather, companies wind up saying, well, then we can do that for you. And then consumers go, great, that'd be great. And I'll stay with you and I'll buy from you and I'll even tell my friends about you. So the, 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 the preference is for customers to be able to say what they want, companies to be able to figure out, yeah, we can do that for you. Interesting. Again, I'm chatting with Bill Price, uh, who is Amazon's first global vice president of customer service. And he is the co-author of the Frictionless Organization, deliver great customer experience with less effort, um, and uh, as well as uh, of the best seller, the best services, no service, your customer rules. So, Bill, um, really, really interesting. And certainly I'm fascinated by this topic of being frictionless. But the book is not just sort of uh, looking at the past, but it really is a guide mm-hmm. for all businesses, regardless of size, mm-hmm. of, of basically how they can make decisions based on interactions with customers. I know you had a lot of conversations. Can you tell us a story over here? Tell us a little story of, of how you, what in sort of inspired you to go in this direction and, and maybe uh, yeah. some lessons learned over here. Well, a c- couple of quick stories. And, and one of them is when, when, I, when I speak to companies or conferences, I usually open up by saying, let's, let's just pause a bit and, and talk among yourselves and share what have been your personal best experiences and worst experiences. And after a short pause, the group just keeps talking. It's really hard to get them to stop. And when I ask them to share with everyone else what those experiences are, typically they start with the bad experiences, the friction. Oh, my gosh. It it comes up like a ratio of four to one. And sometimes it's good experiences, and that's also important to share. So during the pandemic, I was taking a walk with a good friend of mine who said, you know, Bill, your first books came out a while ago, actually seven and 14 years respectively. There's still a lot of problems out there. And I run across them, you run across them, everyone runs across them. How about if you just go out there and, and, and try to update everybody because there's almost a new generation of business leaders. So I got a hold of my co-author who's in Melbourne, Australia. David agreed that we really ought to update with new technologies, with new customer experiences and expectations. And so that's where we went out and uh, interviewed these companies that are in the book. Companies like, like Uber, uh, we used Amazon examples, uh, Apple companies in Europe like N26, some startups in South America, just a whole bunch of companies that were willing to share with us what they were doing. And, and we formed the pattern based on that. Bill, all of this seems to make a lot of sense. Why aren't more organizations becoming <laughs> frictionless? Well, that, that's really the nub of it, isn't it? I, th- I think companies wind up getting into this state of inertia. We've always done it this way. Uh, or they don't question why things happen. They, they, they assume that customers will contact them and they build organizations to support them. Well, that's okay on the, on the surface, but then they don't ask, well, but wait a minute now, why did customers say to us that our bill was wrong? Why did they say to us things like, uh, well, my internet keeps dropping, or uh, I don't understand what this product means, or this promotion makes no sense to me? Well, why is that the case? And, and so organizations that don't ask those questions are the ones that, that wind up creating more friction. And the other issue, quite simply, is that a lot of systems out there, technology, systems, and even processes, uh, don't fit together. They, they, they don't join up. And so customers may start in one particular channel, like a chatbot, and then they talk to someone in the call center or contact center, or they talk to someone on the sales floor. And, and 
even the organization doesn't know what the, the customer has already been doing with them. And so it's frustrating. And, and, and in that case, you, you create more friction. Absolutely. So friction is definitely a uh... Friction is definitely bad. Frictionless, good. Um, and Bill, um, you've, you've given some really good advice over here for small business owners. You've talked a lot about, like you said, some of the stories. But you you mentioned your time at Amazon, I believe you said 23 years ago when you, right. when you initially came in. Uh, so uh, how did that Amazon experience help to frame this thesis? And sort of what's your, um, what, mm-hmm. what's your perspective on, on, on how they, where they've gone uh, in this direction uh, since that time? Yeah, two quick points. One, one is Jeff Bezos had an expression back then, which is it's still day one, meaning you have to be on your toes. You've got to make sure that, that there won't be another company out there that's going to eat our lunch, uh, some other online company or company moving into the online space. So we wanted to make sure that we kept reinventing and kept uh, you know, thinking through new and better ways to deal with the customer, to set up the website, to have deliveries go faster. It was always a challenge for all of us. And I think that is a key part of, of the book. Uh, about the frictionless organization, the last chapter we even call redesign, meaning you've got to figure out how you're going to come up with your own next uh, best product. But the second thing is this this penchant, this, this, this quest that he had and the whole organization had to make things really simple for the customer and to reduce the need for contacts. We had an expression called contacts per order ship. It was a really good metric. It's one that we espouse in the book with with other examples from other companies, but you want to have fewer contacts, meaning assisted contacts for every order that you ship, for every bill that you have, for every unit you've got out there. And so uh, that, that's, that's, that really built a lot of the ideas that uh, we've worked with today. Well, Bill, I've certainly learned a lot. Again, a lot of lessons learned over here. And uh, definitely, I encourage all of our listeners to pick up a copy of the Frictionless Organization to deliver great customer experience with less effort, something all of our listeners want to do, regardless of the size of their business. Um, but one of the things that they definitely will want to do is, is, again, get in touch with you and learn more about the amazing mm-hmm. work you're doing. How can we do that? How can we, uh, how can we find the book? Yeah, we've got a, a book website called frictionlessorg.com. Uh, I can be reached on LinkedIn uh, as Bill Price, and my email address is bill at drivasolutions.com, D-R-I-V-A solutions.com, and the book's available over the place, uh, Amazon in particular. Thanks. Fantastic. Frictionlessorg.com. That's definitely a uh, goal, aspiration for all of us in the upcoming year. We've got to squeeze in a quick break, some headlines, commercials. When we come back, we've got lots more small business, jobs, and entrepreneurship. You don't want to touch that dot. We'll be right back and get down to business. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. I've been super excited for this conversation. I'm thrilled to be joined by Matt Osinek, uh, who uh, who launched the Grateful app, which we are going to talk all about um, prior to starting Grateful, which we're going to, again, share more about. Matt also founded CVG, a consulting company that helps design firms grow their business. Uh, as well as several other entities and uh, grateful. I am super excited by this concept, grateful giving, super important this time of year. Matt Osnick, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Absolutely. So tell me a little bit about how a guy that has grown a business that went public, uh, ultimately went public on the New York Stock Exchange, um, but, but now you're focusing essentially on social good. What's your story, Matt? Yeah, my background is as an entrepreneur. I actually went to school many years ago thought, thinking I would be an architect. I love designing things and creating things, but I found I'm equally good at technology and building businesses. And I've started several traditional businesses. You mentioned a little bit about a couple of them. 
there. Uh, one of them was acquired by a company that went public, which was an awesome experience. But a couple of years ago, I was reflecting more on what I wanted to do next. And we live in such challenging times. There's so many societal problems that you read about on the news every night that you hear about, that you see with your own eyes. I really wanted to find a way to use technology and to work with other socially good businesses and entrepreneurs to try and address some of the deepest problems of our time. That's what led me to create Grateful. And Grateful is ultimately a platform that socially good businesses use to give to their customers' favorite charities and ultimately to support great charities that are on the front lines of trying to solve some of these most pressing problems today. And those things are helping to increase customer attention and employee engagement, which is something that everybody wants to do. So let's talk a little bit about how businesses can and why they should use social good for their customer appreciation and loyalty. Yeah, awesome. And it's, it's very exciting because, again, we live in a challenging time. There's big challenges, but there's such a great role that socially good businesses can play in this. And there's so many businesses that are already generous and already give and already do things. What we do in particular with Grateful is we help businesses set up customer giving programs where they offer to donate to each of their customers' favorite charities. So an example of this is a gym that we work with where they're donating 1% of their, their sales, 1% of their member fees, and when each of their members pay their membership, whether they pay monthly or annually, then they automatically donate 1%, but they also send an invitation, Grateful does, to that member, to that customer saying, hey, here's a quick link to pick the charities that you want to send these dollars to. And what's really interesting with that is their members can go in, they can pick any charity out of a database of over 1.5 million US 501c3 charities to give to. Not every single member does that. Not every single person cares about giving, although many people do. But what's really fascinating is the ones that do go in and pick and choose to give or pick something to give to, we can see in their data, they actually end up spending an average of 17% more with that business over the course of the year as well. So they're doing good by supporting hundreds of great charities, but they're also growing their business and paying for all the costs of that while they're doing it as well. Sounds like a win-win if I've ever heard of one. Um, so again, I'm chatting with Matt Ostenek, the founder of Grateful, which is uh, incredible. And again, it's really all about social good, which is good for good for business, good for customers, good for employees. Again, good win-win. So why do you believe, I know your premise behind a lot of things that you do is that social good is the new currency. What do you mean by that? And, and, and why, you know, I, where do you see as the future in this, in this space? Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. We live in such a challenging time. I think social good is top of mind for so many folks. Again, if you read the news, you see with your own eyes what's happening in our cities, in our country, and the world at large. There's so many challenges from hunger to crime to education to other things. Companies that stand up and participate in helping to address those problems, they don't just benefit the world, they benefit themselves, and they build a deeper connection between their brands and their services and the customers that they're serving. And of course, there's a generational aspect of this, People in every generation care about giving, but particularly in today's world with younger generations, there's a particular emphasis on doing business with and working for companies that care about these types of things. I believe in the times ahead over the next few years and beyond, you know, social good is going to be one of the biggest differentiators for great businesses. It's a new way to compete, but it's also a new way to stand out and be successful in the world that we live in today. 
That's for sure. Uh, Matt, I'm, I'm personally inspired by this as a, again, as a consumer. Um, but I know that many business owners, um, that are tuning in are probably nodding their heads vigorously and, and wondering how can they get in on this trend. So Matt, we don't have a lot of time, but I want to make sure you can share how both, uh, how both companies can get involved and how customers can perhaps encourage, uh, this, uh, this, again, this concept of social good using the app of grateful. Can you give us your contact information and tell us how we can get involved? Absolutely. Our website is begrateful.org, begrateful.org. Would love to have you check us out and learn more there. Uh, There's a lot of great additional information. There also is a contact form for reaching out and connecting and would love to talk to any company or others that are interested in learning more about this. Begrateful.org. So Matt, in our 30 seconds remaining, um, what's your New Year's resolution? What's your goal for, for the Grateful app? Uh, well, to, to make more of an impact, to continue to grow the impact that we're making. I haven't actually written out my New Year's resolutions yet, but that's a great question. But certainly to grow the impact that we're making next year uh, and continue to connect with more and more great businesses and great nonprofits and charities that are doing amazing work as well. Well, I have no doubt that you're going to do it. And that just gives us an excuse to bring you back on in 2023 to check in on that impact, which I'm sure is going to grow. Again, the impact in the nonprofit world, the impact for businesses, the impact for employees and for consumers all around. BeGrateful.org. BeGrateful.org. We'll link through our website and our show notes as well. Matt Asenick, thank you so much for joining us and Get Done to Business. Keep up the amazing work. And I look forward to having you back on real soon. We've got to squeeze in a very quick break here on the show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. We'll be right back. So don't touch that dial. Welcome back to Get Down to Business, the show about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Be sure to check out our sponsors, Tom Mirabali from healthplanchicago.com for all of your health insurance affordable care act needs. Uh, he can be reached at 630-863-3477 and again, healthplanchicago.com. But again, I'm back and I'm thrilled to be joined by Vincent Hendricks, who is a professor of formal philosophy at the University of Copenhagen and the director of the Center for Information and Bubble Studies. And he's the author of The Ministry of Truth, Big Tech's Influence on Facts, Feelings, and Fictions. Vincent, welcome to the program. Thanks for having me. Absolutely. It's an honor to have you. Social platforms are controlling facts, feelings, narratives, and fictions in such a comprehensive manner that platforms are de facto uh, arbiters of truth. And those who control attention first, control the narratives, and therefore also what will be perceived as the truth. And uh, that's why I know you came with that term, the ministry of truth, um, which we're going to talk about. But Vincent, how did you get interested in this topic? Well, it came to me years and years ago when my son actually came home to me and told me a story about him taking over an Instagram profile from one of his friends. And then over the weekend, they met some rappers in the center of Copenhagen, and all of a sudden, this particular profile raised from 3,000 followers to 9,000 followers. And he was about, what, 12 at the time. Then Monday morning, uh, one of his friends from school came to him and said, look, I'd like to buy this profile for money. And all of a sudden, it dawned on me, well, there's a different kind of economics running in peril, uh, or (laughs) if not in peril, then intersected what we understand by pecuniary economy. And that is how it came to pass that I became interested in, in in bubbles, really. And in bubbles, usually when we talk about bubbles, we think of situations in finance, where assets will trade at price at five sees their fundamental value. But there are different kind of bubbles now, because there's a different kind of economy now running, and that's called the attention economy, where our attention is being gobbled up 
by information. And all of a sudden you can talk about attention bubbles uh, and fake news and misinformation are good attention bubbles that tends to overheat the truth. It just the truth can't follow, but there's a lot of attention being allocated. And once you allocate attention, you generate engagement. And once you generate engagement, you generate traffic. And once you generate traffic, you generate data. And once you generate data, then uh, you generate uh, data harvest. And then you can analyze the data and sell it to the advertisers. And that's the model of business yeah. from TikTok to Facebook. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of, uh, you know, TikTok, Facebook and so on, it's, you know, I, I was, I've been thinking a lot about, um, you know, obviously social media, but also specifically uh, as it relates to uh, anti-Semitism, which is uh, certainly uh, a hot topic right now. Um, I know in your book, uh, again, the Ministry of Truth, you talk about how these social media giants are conflicted because they essentially have an allowed content that has supported Holocaust denial. But then they reverse course following a wave of anti-Semitic incidents. We're talking about users of billions and billions of people. We're talking about WhatsApp, Messenger, Instagram, all of those sort of things. But, you know, first of all, let's let's talk about the name of the book, Ministry of Truth. Uh, I know you you were inspired by, uh, is it uh, George Orwell? Sure. And because in the in this book, 1984, his pivotal book from 1984, uh, George Orwell talks about a ministry of truth. And basically, the ministry of truth there is a ministry for, for lies and propaganda. And that's, what, that's not what we are saying, Camilla Milton and I, that the ministry of truth is when it relates to social platforms. But what we are saying is that they basically sit on the infrastructure on one hand. So quantitatively, they have a big say as to what will go viral and what will not go viral. And on, second, on, on the second term, they also actually govern quality in terms of what will show in your feed. It's algorithmically often curated, et cetera. So de facto, they work as if they were a ministry of truth, although, of course, they might not have the intent that you find in 1984. But de facto, it pretty much amounts to extensionally the same thing. And so I know in your book, you argue that basically these giants, they they cannot be uh, depended on to police themselves when it comes to reducing misinformation and hate speech. Again, the example I just provided in terms of anti-Semitism, it shows that, again, they're letting it on. They're taking it off. Really, there's, as you say, a ministry of truth, big tech's influence on facts, feelings and fictions. It just it, it, it's when it's subject to the whims of of these big tech giants, it's not going to bode well for democracy. So I'm curious what you and your co-author are advocating for. And I know a lot of it is you're sort of providing that thought provoking window on the social media platforms, but what, what, what do you believe is the right solution? Well, in the, the, the last chapter of the book is called now what, <laughs> right? So one thing is, yeah. it has to do with digital literacy. Yet another thing has to do with engaging in new partnerships between say NGOs or even states and the social platforms. And then of course, there's legislation in the third end, right? So that's the last part of those three legs. And one of the things that both Republicans and Democrats, although they can't come to bipartisan agreement about much these days, they do have partisan agreement that something should be done at big tech, either because they're going to big so we should invoke anti, uh, we should antitrust laws on one end, or they should at least in some sense be responsible for what is on their platform related to what's called the Communications Decency Act, uh, Section 230, where they basically get out of jail free pass, and maybe that should be revoked. That's in the U.S. And in Europe, we just passed two big legislative packages pertaining to big tech. One is called the Digital Markets Act. It has to do with leveling the playing field for actors in this particular information market. And the other one has to do with where are we as citizens and users? What are our rights? And so between 
the Digital Markets Act and the Services Act and the fact that the, there's bipartisan agreement in the U.S., there's also some legislative packages that should be installed. So we are basically arguing threefold, digital literacy, new partnerships, and legislation. Yeah, definitely. Uh, again, I'm chatting with the one and only Vincent Hendricks, the author of Ministry of Truth, Big Tech's Influence on Facts, Feelings, and Fictions. We've got to squeeze in a very quick break over here, but when we return, we'll continue our conversation uh, again about that that uh, that uh, advocacy I know that you have in that chapter again uh, around uh, what's next and talking about digital literacy uh, more broadly. Again, you're listening to Get Down to Business, the show about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. Get on my website, shalomkline.com, but more with Vincent Hendricks when we return in just a moment. You're listening to Get Down to Business, and I'm back with Vincent Hendricks, Professor of Formal Philosophy at the University of Copenhagen. Again, he's the director of the Center for Information and Bubble Studies, um, which has been funded by the Carlsberg Foundation. Uh, Hendricks is the author of multiple books on logic, methodology, uh, and many other topics. But Vincent, we've been chatting uh, a lot about social media platforms, which by their ability to shape understanding of facts and fiction are transforming society democracy and individuals alike. So you have, uh, you and your co-author have advocated for digital literacy, new partnerships between public agencies and private enterprise and laws and regulations. So as we have this conversation at the end of 2022, what's your perspective analysis of what's going to happen in 2023 on this topic? Well, one of the things we got to have to look at, look out for is exactly where Twitter is going to go in 2023 after, ever since Elon Musk took it over, because I think it's fair to say that the direction is, has been somewhat inconsistent. So one thing is, where is the de facto public swear going to be in 2023? And on top of that, there's another issue that we should look at, which is especially pertinent also to Americans, is the use of TikTok. Uh, because the use of TikTok, there is not an American politician uh, with respect to themselves that do not have a, a TikTok account. But you should realize one thing, that all the data scraping and all the harvesting goes back back to China. So the question is, that's also going to be used for profiling. So now what is that going to do to, say, American democracy, that there is a third party there that also uh, wants to have a, a chip into this? Uh, and on top of that, then we're going to have to look into legislation. So I think where is the public square going to go? What is it going to be used to the TikTok in the U.S. and around the world? And three, where are we going to go with legislation and regulation? Wow. Okay. So, Vincent, I've, I've learned a lot in this conversation. You've de- demystified a lot of different topics over here. There's one takeaway that you want our listeners to walk away with, something that, that they can do, something that they should know or, or advocate for. Um, what would it be? What, what, what's the action, uh, as you say, the, the, the what's next that you, that you want everybody to, to walk away from this conversation? I think one should realize the following, that the way that the social platforms are set up and making their money is basically by allocating a resource, a cognitive resource of ours that's called attention, and then, con- and then transferring that into a capital asset that uh, in the end could make us the, uh, the, the, uh, the collateral damage. So what I'm trying to say first and foremost is, the, this, namely, that whenever you don't, whenever you get bored, make sure that you don't check your social platforms because basically you're just feeding the beast by taking the most valuable cognitive resource of yours and turning it into capital asset for a third party. So spend your attention, pay your attention with care. Wow. Okay. Well, Vincent, uh, again, really, really helpful conversation. We've been chatting about big tech's influence on, uh, again, facts, feelings, and fictions. And uh, the book is called The Ministry 
of truth uh inspired by uh, george orwell's dystopian novel in 1984 um whose emergence and development have consequences not only for truth but also for the past present and future vincent again great conversation thank you so much and thank you for having me Absolutely. So uh, I, I'm sure everybody can uh, find the book Ministry of Truth uh, on your favorite uh, on your favorite website, uh, Amazon and so on. We'll link through the show notes as well. But again, great conversation over here today. Uh, we've chatted with uh, Jenny Lopez, Matt Osinek, uh Bill Price, and of course, Vincent Hendricks. All will be linked and can be contacted through my website, shalomkline.com. But be sure you subscribe, rate, review, and share. It's the best way so you can Uh, Never miss a show all about small business jobs and entrepreneurship. And as we move into the holidays, um, definitely be sure to take care of each other. Uh, Look out for somebody, somebody that may not have their family with them, um, especially when we're talking about in the workplace. It can get a little bit lonely out there. So let's make sure we're taking care of each other and setting ourselves up for success in the new year of 2023. Again, in touch with me uh, if you have any feedback on any of our conversations. But we'll be back next Sunday at 6 p.m. right here on AM560. The answer, again, be sure to check out our sponsors, Tom Arabali, HealthPlanChicago.com. Again, to success. Let's get down to business. We'll talk to you next Sunday. Can't wait for the conversations. Star General Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com, salemnow.com.